On last week's episode of Infinite Lives and Games, we touched on Super Smash Bros. for Wii U and 3DS with our wonderful guest, Jeffrey Scott. We spoke about how the game helped establish his career path and helped create adventures, memories, and friends that will last a lifetime. Today on Infinite Weekly, we delve deeper into the world that is Super Smash Bros. with its diverse and powerful competitive scene. Here to unpack all of this glory is a face I'm also familiar with in the Smash Bros. community and well-known coach, Rory Cosgrove. You can find Rory on YouTube streaming his viewer battles of Super Smash Bros. Ultimate at www.youtube.com slash Game5Smash. This is also the place where if you're trying to level up your Smash Brothers game, you can come through for awesome videos containing competitive tips and tricks. And lastly, you can find him on twitter.com slash Rory Cosgrove to book training sessions today. As always, I'd like to thank my guests for being on the podcast. And uh, in this version, Infinite Weekly, we're going to talk all competitive Smash. How are you doing today? Good, sir. I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? Good, good. Can't wait to get this going. We both have great ties to Super Smash Brothers and its competitive scenes. Absolutely. <laughs> we uh, met at, I think, one of your tournament organizations, one of your stores, right? Yeah, it must have been a popping off back in the day, dude. Old school. <laughs> Old school, indeed. So I just want to jump right into it. I want to know, just like in a broad description, what is competitive Smash? So competitive Smash is sort of the natural evolution of playing the game casually. And I think a lot of people don't connect it in this way, but it's pretty interesting because, you know, whether you're just somebody playing Smash Bros at a party, never owned the game in your life, or you're the best player in the world playing for, I wish I could say millions, but thousands <laughs> of dollars. Um, the the game itself is a competitive game. The objective of the game is to win. It's to beat your opponent. Pretty much no matter what. You might have a teammate, but it's to win. And eventually, when one person is trying to win, and at least one other person is also trying to win against that person, that can only continue to raise the skill levels over and over. And I'm sure this is you know the same with any competitive game, but that's what happens to Smash Bros. And that's when it turns from a casual party game into a game where people are much more strict about their rule sets. We don't have items on. We're only playing on certain stages. Um, and there's a lot more emphasis on techniques. There's just this beautiful depth to it. And uh, what I personally love about it is that you have this kind of 50-50 between this chess-like mental strategies and this, you know, maybe not in Ultimate as much as some other Smash games, mm -hmm. but high execution you know, technical movement. And there's there's so much freedom to it. Like, if you think of, like, other fighting games, they're kind of, I don't want to say anything bad about them. It's They're a different, different beast. But other fighting games, you're kind of trapped and, and your movement is a little bit limited. But in Smash Bros, you can move all over the place. You have this whole big stage to move around. And there's no rules on where you can and can't move for the most part. You can't fly. But besides that, you can go anywhere. And that just creates such a beautiful depth the art that you can make with how you play the game. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. What well, I like that you said freedom. Uh, can you elaborate yeah. more on the freedom aspect of Smash? Yeah, I mean Smash. There, like I said, pretty much the the only the only thing is that you have to win, right? How you win is up to you. There are strategies that work better than others, and there are certain moves that with a character 
um, might be better than others. Also, there are just straight up characters that are better than others. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the game doesn't tell you how to play it. Uh, there's very little things that, that the game does to limit you. And you have so much creativity on how you put yourself into the game, how you go about playing it. That's why you look at uh, especially the, the best players in the world, you know, even if they're playing the same character, they're going to play that character very differently. And there's going to be sort of a personality in how they approach the game that you can really see as a spectator or as an opponent. Uh, you know, you might play one person and then go to playing another person who's around the same skill level and have a completely different experience. Again, even if they're playing the same character, just because they're able to put their own creativity and their own personality on the way they play the game. I love it. And I want to know, uh, where did you start in Smash? Some of your character backgrounds, first Smash game? Yeah. So, I mean, as with pretty much all of us, uh, you know, I started casually. I, I think that is actually one thing that's a little bit more unique to Smash because although you could play a game like Street Fighter or, you know, some other games casually at first, there are some games that are just so connected to the competitive side of things that yeah. people start the game with the goal of being competitive, you know. But Smash, it, most of us, we started out playing casually. And I did as... Uh, a lot of other people in the uh, slightly older side, like myself, playing Smash 64. Um, although, fu fun story, I never actually owned Smash 64. It's just called Super Smash Bros., but, you know, the one on the Nintendo 64. <laughs> yeah. But I still have the, um, the instruction manual because I forgot to return it when I rented it. Back in the day, you used to be able to rent games. I don't oh, know what wow. the, the young, <laughs> your younger listeners might not know about this, but... Uh, and I felt bad because I, I always wanted to return everything. But yeah, I still have the manual because I rented it and, and didn't return it. But there was, I, I, I played Melee and Brawl all the time with my friends. Brawl was my favorite game to play casually. <laughs> and I remember uh, a friend of mine sent me a message on Facebook um, showing me a video of this high-level competitive Ice Climbers player. And the Ice Climbers player was doing uh, this infinite chain grab. So uh, if you don't know anything about Smash Bros., Basically, ice climbers could grab you once in brawl, well, and also oh, kind of in melee. But, yeah, yeah, <laughs> they grab you once, and uh, as long as they don't mess up, you you lose a life. You have three lives in brawl, and uh, that's a big deal because that means technically three grabs is all they needed to win. Now, once I was deep into the competitive scene, I realized how toxic this was. But <laughs> for me to see these ice climbers doing this infinite combo. In the game that I played all the time, but I had never knew this anything like this was possible. It blew my mind. Oh, and man. from there, yeah, from there, I just I watched so many videos. I kept looking at other things of the ice climbers and everything. And that's sort of how I really, uh, you know, got exposed to the competitive side of Smash for the first time. I never really I knew it. I knew there were tournaments and stuff, but I never really looked into any of it until that moment. And from there on, I was hooked and uh, it was just about. How, how how much further could I get into it was really what I was thinking of. Oh, uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I also got into competitive Smash with Brawl mm. similarly in the same way. So I went to a really? tournament. Yeah, <laughs> I, I went to a tournament. I was looking for competition. You know, when you have your group of friends and you are technically the best among them. And so yep. you go searching out for more, <laughs> you know, <laughs> bigger prey in a sense. And so I went in and I thought I was really good. I thought I'm going to take this tournament. Um, I picked DK in Brawl. <laughs> and now, mind you, as we probably already know, you know, big, bigger yeah. characters tend to. <laughs> so I got chain grabbed with Ice Climbers to oh, infinity man. and beyond. <laughs> 
And that would turn people away from competitive Smash. But for me, like you said, it opened the world to me. To yeah. Me. It was like, wow, there is way more to this than I could have ever known. And so obviously I got my butt handed to me in in the tournament. But from then on, that was my competitive journey. I wanted to know what was that? What was that chain grab? I started asking questions. I started researching. And I didn't even know. I didn't know about character matchups. I didn't know Donkey Kong was low on the tier list. I didn't know nothing. And so that's, yep. yep. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think we all start off that way. We're casuals. We get good with, amongst our friends. And then we think we're hot shit. <laughs> yep. It's funny how you you got that story from my story about the ice climbers because now I have a story very similar to yours um, in that exactly what you said. And it happens so often, especially back in the day, because nowadays, like, even though online sucks, you can, you can play against better players online. You might kind of have a better idea of how good you actually are. But but back in the day, like, if you were the best in your group of friends and you were you were you you might as well have been the best in the world as far as you knew <laughs> yeah. like we, we didn't know any different right mm-hmm. and i was exactly the same way i was always the best in in, in any group uh, of friends in smash because i was wa- i always cared about it more i was wanted to be good and even when i started watching the ice climbers and i started watching other players um i had mained mennonite uh, at the time towards the end of the game who, oh, who was the best man. character in the game <laughs> i say somebody else played him against me and just like whooped me with like like just spamming a couple moves so i'm like let me try that and then <laughs> i had been doing that but so i saw these top players playing mennonite dittos and i i looked at the things they're doing and i'm like i'm doing that uh, i do that move i do that move so i must be as good as these guys and i'll never forget i there was a um like a demo for smash bros for wii u uh, that they had at multiple Best Buy locations before the game was officially out. And me and the friends who I was currently playing with at the time, we were waiting online to play the demo, and uh, I recognized a top player, or at least a former top player by the name of Vinny from Brawl, uh, <laughs> who was online. And I walked up to him, I said, hey, you're Vinny, right? Like, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, he was very interested in getting other people, uh, you know, into the game. So he told me and my friends about this venue that hosted brawl tournaments and it also hosted some like days where you can just go and practice. And we went once and keep in mind, not only was he a tournament player, he was like one of the best tournament players in the (laughs) world. And when I played against him, I got so destroyed. That is exactly what you said. It's like, like, oh my gosh, wait, I thought I was good. I'm actually atrocious. I'm not anywhere even near this guy. Oh man. And it was, yeah, it was so inspiring for me to get better. And the interesting thing, I don't know, at the point where I am now, I don't know if I, if I would say this, but at least for the longest time after that, the better I got, the further I felt away, away? from him. Oh, man. Yeah. Because I oh, really man. started to see, I really started to see all the little differences. It's like, it's like a expanding an accordion or something like, like the, instead of mm-hmm. just being like, oh yeah, he does this better than I do, or he does that. No, no, he does everything. <laughs> he does things. He does things I didn't even know existed better oh, than I did because oh I wasn't God. doing them at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that feeling. It's it's, it's very humbling. It's very humbling, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I I wanted to go off of that. What goes into the mind of a competitive Smash player, someone like Vinny, compared to other traditional fighters? I also want to put that in there, too, because Smash gets this rep of not being a traditional fighter. But I, I personally think that it still has the same mechanics, the same fighting thoughts. W- what goes into that? What goes into that whole dynamic? 
Well, as far as the comparisons to traditional fighters, I'm going to avoid making further ones myself because I've never played one of them. And I can make assumptions, but I think that's a little ill-advised. But gotcha. I'll just take it from the perspective of Smash. And, you know, keep in mind at the end of the day, although I am a pretty high-level player, I'm not, you know, at like top 50 level or anything like that. So I can't be 100% accurate at what goes <laughs> into the player's mind. But I think there are a lot of layers to it. Um you know, you mentioned matchups is, is one of the things is your character versus the other person's character. How do these characters interact in unique ways? What does the other person's character want to do? And what does your character have to do to, you know, avoid that, punish that, whatever it may be. But then there's, it's arguable whether this is deeper or shallower, but there's also the player matchup. You know, maybe there's a move that your opponent character usually would do like most people who would play that character maybe most palutena's would use nair in neutral if you if you know anything about smash you'll know what i'm talking about if not it's it's a move called neutral air and the character palutena usually uses it because it's a pretty good move it gives her combos and stuff like that but maybe you're fighting a palutena who just never nairs but you ha you not not only have to be ready going in to be like okay this is a palutena i need to be ready to counterplay uh, the palutena nair strategies but I also need to see if this guy is actually nearing, because if he's not nearing, I have to be ready for whatever this person is actually doing. Yeah. Um, but there's that combination of that like matchup and player matchup, which you know might be the same with traditional fighters, but uh, maybe that is actually more to say of what is the same than what's different, uh, like you were saying. No, I got you. No, no, no. That's perfect. And I also wanted to hit on the topic because we kind of skimmed over it to the competitive rules, um, because as yeah. we, we as we mentioned. Um, how did we uh, establish what the rules were, you know, with the chain grabs and to Infinity and Beyond <laughs> with the ice climbers? Can you go into a little bit on that? How did the Smash community actually develop their competitive rules? Yeah, I mean, definitely if, if you're interested, uh, you know, your viewers are interested in hearing more about this, I would recommend checking out the Melee documentary. I think it's called The Smash Bros because <laughs> that really takes you through the history. Uh, you know, obviously we have our rule sets in Smash Ultimate now, but uh going from like just playing casually with items to the rule sets that competitive players use now was something that really started a long time ago back in melee and uh, actually probably starting in melee because 64 became bigger competitive after melee did i think but that's beyond the point but i i think whenever anybody is approaching making a rule set it's to kind of remove any factors besides for this player's skill against that player's skill um obviously you have to keep characters there um but then there there are always controversies like you mentioned that like you have ice climbers who have an infinite chain grab that was not banned in brawl mm -hmm. but a lot of people probably thought it was um meta knight who doesn't have an infinite chain <laughs> grab uh, actually was banned partially for a period of time uh, and people wanted him to be banned maybe more so than ice climbers and then you had smash 4 where we had bayonetta who had a lot of other crazy things that she could do as far as characters, I don't think we've ever had a character that's straight up banned. But sort of the quickest things to go are items because items just create a lot of randomness. For for one thing, items themselves are inherently random in their the way they appear. Like you put on items, unless you only turn on specific items, and you don't know what items are going to appear or when or at, or where they're going to appear, which is yeah. on its own very random. And you know you have Smash has so many uh, aspects of skill. It's really, you can't really call it a game of chance. It's not like poker or something like that, where 
things are like that. But I think maybe a better way for me to phrase that is the people who play Smash don't want it to be a game of chance. Because I, yeah. I always think of that example of yeah. like, you know, poker and blackjack and everything where these are games of somewhat games of chance that, that you know, involve skill on sort of this different level with, with the betting and, and the, uh, you know, taking your emotions and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. people generally don't want Smash to be that. They want it to be more a, con a contest of uh, mental strategy and execution. Yeah, like you said, skill, right? That's all. Yep. The, yep. At the end of the day, uh, try to eliminate all the RNG factors and yeah. factors that that really, if one character can do and no other character can do that, I think it's also a grounds for banning. What do you think? Really depends. It's a case to case thing. Like mm -hmm. I think ice climbers being banned in Brawl probably would have made the competitive scene better because everybody hated the ice climbers and it was one of the reasons a lot of people dropped out of the game and started playing Project M and other things. <laughs> uh, you might say the same for Bayonetta, but it depends like what, how strong is the backlash going to be? We don't know because it's, it's never been done. To save a, a lengthy discussion on that, all I'll say is a, pretty much universally we can agree that there's no character that really needs to be banned in, in Ultimate. People wanted to ban Hero because he is a heavily RNG character with his one move that has a lot of <laughs> random effects. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's even though that's something he can do that no other character can, sort of like you said, it's not something that makes him automatically win in such a way that Ice Climbers almost did. I mean, it, it didn't make them automatically win. They still weren't <laughs> the best character in the game. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I did like the fact that you mentioned Project M because Project M yeah. is sort of a community project. Go into a little bit about Project M, because in our last episode, we also mentioned Project M. We didn't go deep into uh, its uh, up and coming and where it came from. So please tell us about Project M and the community behind Project M and, of course, the competitive rules. Yeah, so uh, Melee was the game before Brawl. Uh, you know, if you, if you know anything about Smash Bros, you probably know Super Smash Bros. Melee. I think it came out in 2001, 2002, something like that. And then in 2008 or 9, uh, I think it was 8, we had Super Smash Bros. Brawl. And Melee was known and still to this day is played and known as a game that's very, very high execution. It requires a lot of, a lot of fast button pressing, you know, <laughs> if you want to use layman terms and stuff like that. And it, it's a very fast paced game. Very, you know, you have to be very skilled on the execution as well as the mental aspects to play Melee at a high competitive level. Well, Brawl was basically... A, a conscious effort to remove a lot of that execution and make the game a lot more approachable in ways that the competitive scene, at least from Melee, was generally turned off by. Even though Brawl was actually a fantastic competitive game, in my opinion, and the opinion of many others, <laughs> it is a fantastic... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm glad. Uh, it, it's a fantastic competitive game in many ways um, that in, in pretty much... Almost none of the same ways that Melee was, besides for the mental aspect. Mm -hmm. And so what a lot of, uh, what the community did was, you know, I say the community, I don't actually know who developed Project M, so shout-outs to whoever did that. But some people, uh, it's, it's actually very easy to, to modify your Wii and, like, hack your game and stuff like that. So people made a mod pack that is basically a custom version of Brawl so that the physics... And the way the game plays execution-wise is much, much, much more similar to Melee, uh, while still maintaining some unique techniques, as well as the aesthetics and character roster of Brawl. Although a, a great 
product, uh, you know, that that resulted from the efforts of the people who developed it and a really fun game for pretty much almost everybody that plays it. It actually hurt Brawl because a lot of Brawl players were switching over to Project M and it, at, <laughs> at, at some point it became uh, more popular than Brawl itself. Yeah, guilty as charged. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all, we, all, we had to we had to try PM, right? You know. Yeah, I want to continue off of PM and stuff in the community. Nintendo has always been a, uh, oh. I guess, <laughs> <laughs> the outlaws or police around the competitive and all stuff when it comes to Project Them. Can you talk about community versus, I guess, Nintendo? I don't want to say versus because we're. I mean, we're always at odds against them. We always don't agree eye to eye. So I want you to t- touch on that topic. Nintendo and the Smash community. And competitive yeah, Smash it, community. <laughs> it's just, it seems Nintendo has always been very out of touch with the competitive side of Smash. Probably mostly because as big as the competitive scene has gotten, the vast majority of players are still casual players since it's an extremely popular game. But Nintendo has... I was going to say made no effort to kind of like work with the com- competitive community, but I can even go as far as to say that they have made efforts to yeah. <laughs> work with us. There are, there are a list of examples that, that I'm not sure if I can think of everything off the top of my head, but uh, they, they really have not shown much interest in the competitive community. And the thing that I never really understood is if Nintendo is doing all of this from a business standpoint, it would take such a little investment to, to do more, Absolutely. Uh, for the competitive community, whereas the competitive community is just a living advertisement for their game. As I mentioned in the very beginning of this interview, competitive Smash is a natural evolution of casual Smash. So if you advertise Smash competitively, you're still advertising to the people who play it casually. They're Absolutely. still trying to win, and they're seeing people who are good at winning playing the game. I love uh, it. I n- I never understood why Nintendo was so kind of unwilling to work with people. Uh, you know, the, the, I guess the inception of, the, of this question or the way it was transitioned to was from Project M, which Nintendo shut down to their best of their oh, ability. Man. They they made it so that people couldn't stream it. Um, I think they probably went after certain events that play the game because it's, you know, it's using a modified version of their intellectual property, I guess, is their legal reasoning or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, now, you know, even for Smash Ultimate, which is the official game, they have not been crazy about supporting major tournaments or supporting the competitive scene. Yeah, it's so it's so funny. Before we uh, go on to the next question, I wanted to tell a story because when Smash uh, for the Wii U came out, Project M was still kind of big. Still around in the competitive scene, we were still able to stream it, I think, at the time. Smash for Wii U came out and we turned on Smash Wii U. <laughs> and I think this is probably why Nintendo... One of the reasons why, but when we turned on Smash Wii U, we immediately turned it off day one and continued <laughs> to play Project M. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, because a new update had came out and we were like, oh my goodness, this this is kind of boring. We're like, oh, let's just let's just go back to Project M. And we literally un, you know just unplugged the Wii U and went back to the Wii. I laugh about it now, but do you think that's probably one of the reasons as to why Nintendo didn't want project them and stuff like that taken off because it took away from them oh absolutely absolutely yeah uh, they it would have I, I think nintendo would have eventually gone after it anyway but uh nintendo has had a very 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 fundamental and basic financial plan they want 
their current selling smash game to be the one the only one that people know exists <laughs> yeah. is there is there is their end goal which is obviously impossible this is also why i don't think we'll ever see like a melee hd people always talk about that they want melee you mm -hmm. know to be remade or whatever but don't count on that happening when there's a newer smash game currently for sale for the same console it, it's just not yeah, they don't okay. want anybody playing. Even if they're selling the other one, they don't want anybody. They 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 want you to buy Smash Ultimate. They want you to play Smash Ultimate. And uh, they we've even seen them. I forget exactly. Oh, it was because it was of Slippy that they <laughs> they shut down some melee events recently. Yeah, uh, I don't know if yeah. I want to go all the way into that, but <laughs> it seems like they they really 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 want people to just be focused on the current game, whether it have, was Smash Four at the time when PM was pretty big or uh, Smash Ultimate right now. Going off of Nintendo, and I want to I wanna leave off with them on a good note, because Nintendo is known mm -hmm. to be a family company and, and game producers. They like to have a diverse scene when it comes to their video games. And that's what Smash is, right? It's this mm -hmm. diverse and melting pot of games and people. I want your opinion on the diversity that Smash brings. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of angles you can take with that which is more, you know, emphasis on what you're saying, the, the truth of it. Because Smash Ultimate, I mean, for starters, it, it has game uh, characters from so many different corners of gaming, especially now that you have, like, Joker from Persona 5, which is uh, a series that, uh, before the recent release of Persona 5 Strikers, the franchise was not on a Nintendo console at all, uh, at least not Persona specifically. Mm-hmm and you have banjo you have something as basic as mario like you have extremely recognizable characters that people who have pretty much almost never played a video game in their life will know like mario and pikachu are probably two of the most iconic well it's weird to say video game characters against <laughs> about Pope pikachu but he is still a video game character yeah. uh so some of the most iconic video game characters of all time period like if you've never seen those you probably don't even know video games exist. Yeah. And then it also has, like like I said, like Joker and, and a lot of these other characters that are more obscure and third-party characters. You have Cloud Strife. Now you have Sephiroth. Um, as far as the, the... Just the character roster alone is a good evidence of the diversity that you see in Smash Ultimate. It really brings together gaming in a way that probably no other game does or may ever will. And what do you think about the actual community, the people? What do you love about that, that diverse melting pot of people you walk you know you go into a tournament someone walks in it's like, oh hey is that person but then three more people walk in they come from, from completely different backgrounds completely different families what do you think about all that oh absolutely there's so much diversity outside of the game as well and that kind of goes back to what i was saying about how free and creative the game is because any kind of personality can kind of approach it that that's something that's so cool is that you'll have People from all different walks of life playing the same game, playing it their own way. It's just there's kind of no kind of person who can't play the game if they mm -hmm. want to. And you'll you'll see this. And I think it, it creates a really interesting community where you have so many different kinds of personalities, especially when you get to content creators. There's a good variety there, too, where you might go from one content creator to another oh, and yeah. get a very distinct experience that you may enjoy, you know, from both perspectives. I think a good example, um, if you're this is more so for Melee, but um, if you well, Hungrybox does both. But if you if you watch Hungrybox and then watch Mango, these players who have notoriously kind of 
been at odds personally in the community, <laughs> uh, play the game very, very differently, play very, very different characters, and they <laughs> yeah. have very different personalities. But like, I love watching both of them. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's something really, really cool that you get as a spectator and, uh, you know, as just a community member in general when it comes to. Yeah, I mean, it just speaks so much about what Smash is, right? It's just this, this, this world, this colliding, uh, all these colliding aspects with different personalities, different emotions, different feelings. What about the pro players? You've mentioned a couple of them. What, what do you think about the pro players? What do you think about us? Well, I guess us. <laughs> I think the Smash community kind of making them superstars, kind of making them, you know, celebrities in their own way. Can you talk about that? I mean, I would just only want the, the biggest success for people that get really good at the game because it's really, if you want to be a pro player in Smash, you do it because you want to win and really any other reason is secondary because, I mean, people make a living off the game, but only because of content and, and games and stuff like that. If you wanted to be big at stuff like that, the hardest way is to start winning tournaments and get notoriety that way. It works. But in other words, if you if you're deciding that you want to put in the, the massive effort required to be super super good at Smash, like top, you know, fifty or better in the world, you do it only because you want to win, because no other reason would give you enough motivation or really be worth it. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't you don't get much directly from winning. You might you might turn that into success for content. But I think that goes to show you that the people who are, have achieved a lot in Smash are, regardless of what kind of people they are, they're incredible simply for the fact that they can achieve something so great. This goes back to also what we were saying about when you're a casual player and you might not realize how big that difference is between <laughs> you and the, and the pro players. But when you see, uh, you know, with any kind of clear perspective, really how good the pro players are it's kind of mind-blowing it's not just like oh yeah like maybe if i played smash and like learned a little bit more about it you know i could be <laughs> yeah. you know playing right up there with those other guys like some of us might have thought yeah it's so much <laughs> bigger than that yeah i mean again just going to show how big the world of smash is this is i think it's a perfect segue into um the types of people and types of uh, content creators in smash and uh, you yourself are a coach in the uh, Smash community, right? Absolutely. And, and a content creator. Yeah, and a content creator. So, um, I, well, first I want to touch on, before we get to the content creating, why did you want to become a coach? Yeah, so I've always been naturally attracted to educating in, in various ways. I never thought of like being like a school teacher or anything like that. But whenever it came to knowledge that I had acquired, for whatever reason, I've always just enjoyed passing that knowledge on to other people. And I've always thought that I also have somewhat of a unique approach to doing so. Whereas I think in general, you know, whether it's gaming or even just like teaching school, I think teachers always try and teach things their way. But mm -hmm. um, at least when you're coaching, you have a kind of one-to-one -one experience with somebody who have the opportunity to teach them their way. And I think that's what makes a good teacher is is adapting to the student. But to get back to the, the question, I had always wanted to teach myself things about the game. It's weird. I, I think that I'm not necessarily that good at learning from other people, but I've always been good at teaching myself things. Like I can remember even in school, I wouldn't pay any attention in class, but then when it came to do the homework, I would, I would read the lesson in the textbook and then I'd be like, <laughs> oh, okay. You know, not for every class, but I, I remember one example of that in like a math class. I wanted to learn. I was just always interested in, in the, the deeper aspects of the game. But this is back in Smash 4. And uh, 
I, the more I learned by teaching myself, the more it was easy for me to teach other people because I, I knew the kind of mistakes that I made and the things that I didn't realize when I was learning it on my own and I could help other people avoid those mistakes. But I started off just coaching some players in my local scene. Uh, you know, as you know, mm -hmm. I was a, a tournament organizer that I, so I used to meet a lot of local players in my local scene that would come to my tournaments. And uh, I, I gradually started, you know, helping more and more of them out. I would occasionally stream and, and do it. Not too too often back then, and then when Ultimate came out, I felt that I I was at a position where I really knew what I was talking about. I had already coached a player in Smash Four by the name of Ralphie, who's still a good friend of mine, um, <laughs> who was doing really well competitively. He placed ninth at a super international tournament, a super major. So I I knew I knew that my my tips worked at 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 a really high level of play. So I decided to start charging money for it, doing the legit thing, and going the the way of like a private coach that does like online sessions like a lot of people gotcha i was gotcha. around uh yeah like two years ago and I've, I've been going strong with it i love doing it no i love it i love it can you describe what a typical practice looks like like with your students and how do you how yeah do you manage the the playing time how do you how do you go about it absolutely so my most popular option student has the choice of whether they would like to play online with me so me Right up playing them in Smash Ultimate, or they can have videos, replays, you know, YouTube videos, whatever it may be, of them playing somebody else, like a, just a, a video of them playing that we, me and the student, will watch together and I'll pause the video, rewind it, etc., and explain to them, you know, what's going on. In either case, this will be done over Discord, you know, or you know, voice chat where I'm talking to the person live, mm -hmm. much as we are right now. And my goal is just to do whatever I can to tell this person how to get better. And it typically goes the same way to start off. I will introduce myself to the person, ask them for a little bit of background. I always ask them what their goals are because not everybody wants to be the best player in the world. Some people just <laughs> want to beat their friends. And you kind of got to know that before you ask them, you start giving them tips. Yeah. And over the course of that hour, I'll do whatever I can, like I said. And uh, without getting into, you know, any more specifics, and, and maybe you have a question about specifics, that's fine. But mm -hmm. that's that's the general uh, outline of it. Yeah, actually, I have, I have two more questions on the on the topic. Um, sure. How important? And it's funny that you mentioned that too, because you you have to establish what is the goal of your student, right? Yeah. So, how important is winning compared to your students, like just learning overall? How do you navigate that approach, navigate them like winning and learning? Well, I think in Smash, when you learn, you're going to be better off winning. Uh, I never thought of them as necessarily different routes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, unless you mean like winning in the individual games that he, the person I'm playing with, like in the session. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, for that... It, it, that can be tricky because sometimes I get people who come to me and they want to do a session where I play them online. Uh, you know, I've had guys where like I'm beating them every game and they're kind of like getting angry that they're losing when I, <laughs> I'm like, why did you hire me if you didn't think I was going to beat yeah. you? Or, well, <laughs> it, it's an interesting thing, actually, because when I first started doing the, the coaching sessions, I hadn't actually planned even allow the option for like online games for for one thing the game is pretty bad online for the viewers that don't know uh smash ultimate has a pretty terrible net code there's always there's always a good amount of input delay you know and and, and if you're, you're not you in the same <laughs> oh yeah if you're not in the same region as the other person then you know you're, you're and the game is a super reactive game so it's it's really really nerfed when you when you have to play it online uh and the second reason i, I don't necessarily like that option of playing somebody online is because 
again, I'm a pretty good player, but I, I never claimed to be one of the best players in the world. I never claimed that I'm a top 50 player or anything like that. So I, I don't know why some people, you know, like just assume that because I'm a coach, I have to be better than them, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, honestly, I, I've fortunately, like there have only been like two or three in hundreds of coaching sessions that I've done. I'm not lying about this that have actually like beaten me more than I've beaten them. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we might call this a, in the Smash community, as you know, we have a term called Johns, you know, we, we use as, <laughs> as excuses in, in, in every case that that's happened. The person has had like not the greatest connection and played like a character that does really well online. Some characters just, just profit off of the lag. Oh, absolutely. Um, Yoshi, Yoshi and Ness. I've had some of these. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but typically the way I like to look at it is it if I'm playing somebody who's like more of a beginner, then I think they might actually get more of it from playing me online, even though that's not something that I'm crazy about doing simply because if I'm watching a video of somebody play and they have a bad habit like one of the bad habits in smash ultimate is like you get hit off the stage and then you just mash jump to get back onto the stage really quickly <laughs> um i can i can point at them and say hey you know this is you shouldn't jump here because people will hit you you'll lose your jump you're you're very vulnerable in this spot it's very easy to cover etc uh, and then they'll they'll take that note you know they'll be like okay maybe yeah. they'll learn from it maybe they won't but if i'm hitting them for jumping and killing them and the message goes right to the source, you know? (laughs) So that is one advantage of doing it that way. Um, But I like to do the the VOD reviews uh, overall because that's my strength. I'm a coach. I'm not a top player, you know? I prefer to do that. (laughs) No, no. And I wanted to know, you know, because you mentioned your strength. So what is the most rewarding part of being a coach? Um, I think this this might seem like a cliche answer, but it's really true that when you're teaching something, you, you, you learn maybe more than the students sometimes because I'm, I'm not going to lie. There are definitely things that are just like uh, like little monologues that I, I've just said a million times because this, a lot of people have the same issues. So I just have said the same thing a bunch of times, but then you'll get a player who has a different kind of problem or I need to explain something different to them. And it, it tasks me right on the spot of like, Oh, like how do I approach this? How do I look at the game? So, you know, when you're coaching so many different people, of different skill levels with all kinds of different problems and whatnot. You have to just take all these, like a picture the game is like a Rubik's cube in your hand and you just have to twist it around and, and look at all these different angles and everything. Absolutely, and, yeah. you know, what, what better way to learn everything about the game inside and out. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like everything else, right? Um, you got to put the time, you got to put the effort and you got to be serious about it. Right. Yeah. Uh, whether it is you are coaching or whether it is you being a student, you're not going to learn if you are uh, constantly getting upset or you know not taking advice. Uh, have you ever had students like that? Have you ever had a moment where somebody was just super upset with you or uh, you couldn't get through to a student? Fortunately, not anything that severe. Uh, there have been very few, and I'm glad to say very few <laughs> situations where things didn't work out well. There, there was, uh, I believe, one or two times where it was a situation where somebody, you know, wanted to play me online and they seemed like they were, you know, a pretty high level player. Whereas whether I could beat them or not, I, I didn't think that playing online was really going to be my best way of helping them. Yeah. It really isn't. It's not, that's not my forte. Is. So I always say to those people, uh, you know, I, I'm going to give you three options. One, you know, we can continue with this, but I can't promise you the best results because it's really not my strongest point. 
Two, uh, you could come back to me and we'll do a VOD review. We'll look at mm -hmm. a video of you playing. Um, or three, you know, I'll just refund you and then we can go our separate ways. I'm always happy to do that. It, you know, if people are paying me, I, I, I really, gotcha. really want to deliver on what I'm offering them. No, it, you know, it's usually it's not about uh, uh, the money, right? Like you, you want these people to leave confident, to leave yeah. with their lessons, right, that they came for you to see, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't do it for free, but <laughs> I, def I, I definitely, it, it, you know, it feels empty if I'm receiving the money and not really helping somebody. So exactly. I definitely agree with what you're saying. You know, it's funny, you keep touching on the VOD reviews, and I want to segue into the content creation. What yeah. goes behind making content for Smash, the coaching, uh, the tournaments, the competitive, like, tell us about the content creation of Smash. There are a lot of different kinds of content and probably the most successful are highlight videos like people making more so for humor and, and, and entertainment purposes, just taking somebody like, for example, right now I work as a video editor for Hungrybox, who is you know, perhaps the biggest streamer in Ultimate. I'm not sure, but he's, you know, one of the bigger Ultimate streamers and he also has a YouTube channel Wow, that's so pretty dope, for those. Man. Yeah, I love it. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's 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 fun. I get to watch. So you know, like for an average video for that channel, we will like go through uh, Hungrybox's tournament run on a stream. Like he'll play in an online tournament that he streamed. We take the best moments of that tournament run, cut them down, put effects where they're needed, and make that into a YouTube video. That's one form of content, which is it's very very fun to watch. I started off doing a different kind of content, which is educational content. So making guide videos for my own channel, Game 5 Smash, where I, I guess that's another uh, outlook on how I became a coach is I was already educating in the form of videos where I would have a, a topic that I felt like I had a, a good perspective on how to introduce it or explain it to people. So I would make YouTube videos mm -hmm. about that. And it was just kind of something I was interested in doing. I didn't really have an experience video editing when I started my own YouTube channel. I just wanted to make videos and gradually tried different things until I got the hang of it. And then I started making a lot. So do you still do videos? Do you still do the uh, tips and tricks and competitive guides? I do them here and there, but um, I don't do as many lately. Uh, one, because I'm more busy, you know, doing the, the work for Hungrybox and all that. But mm -hmm. just in general, I feel like I really made most, if not all of the videos that I, I really wanted to. And... We talked about the coaching thing, you know, you're not doing it for the money. Well, in YouTube videos, you're really not doing it for the money. Because when <laughs> I was making three YouTube videos a week for my own channel, videos would get me average of like dollars a video or something. <laughs> like it, It's like pathetic. Yeah. And in the beginning, I, I didn't really care. The money was just a nice bonus because I wanted to make these videos. But that kind of... I grew, I grew out of that. Like I got tired of it, of making the videos just for the sake of, of the content, since I had already made all the videos that I was really inspired to want to make. And it got to the point where I'm like, I have a list of ideas of videos that I could make, but why am I making them? I'm not inspired to make them for the purpose of educating people. They're mm -hmm. not going to make me any money. So should I just make this video for the sake of making videos? You know? Yeah. So, but what I do do is lately I stream. So I stream from actually from my YouTube channel. Um, because for some reason, a lot of my viewers don't have Twitch accounts. I don't know how that worked out, but um, <laughs> I stream every night, 9 p.m. Eastern time, Game 5 Smash. I will play with viewers. Uh, and also, it's a great chance for me to educate people and answer questions that they may have about my they might have about my videos. I'm always happy anybody to come in. They can just ask me anything and they don't have to pay me anything. I just want to 
know, I'll be I'll be happy to answer them. Yeah, absolutely. And all of that will be in the show notes. Uh, before I wrap up, uh, there's a couple more topics, if you don't mind, man. Sure. So I wanted to hit on uh, the tournaments. I want to hit on tournament organizations, being a TO, yeah. travels. Because in the last episode, the person that I interviewed, we talked about traveling in Smash. And it was one of the benefits. It was one of the things that uh, really highlighted his adventures with Smash. So tell us a little bit about uh, all of it. The competitions, the uh, organizations, the traveling. Yeah, so I mean, for me, it was pretty interesting. And I'll, I'll say it downright selfish. In the beginning, when I got into competitive Smash, it, I mentioned that it was Brawl, but it was right as Smash 4 was coming out. And I, to the best of my ability to research, I couldn't find any local tournaments that <laughs> existed for Smash 4, like when it first came out on the 3DS, actually. And I was like, well, I could probably do this. So I found a local tournament venue, which you know as Poppin' Games. Poppin' Games. Uh, where I, I say a local tournament venue. It was a, not a tournament venue at all. It was it was a video game store. It was, <laughs> it was a, a local game store, kind of like a GameStop, but, you know, like a privately owned company or whatever. Shout um, out. <laughs> yep. And so I went there and I just said to them, I said, hey, you know, would, do you guys want to do tournaments? And they were a little unsure at first. I had no experience, so I kind of had to BS my way into saying that I, I knew a lot of people <laughs> in the scene, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, one thing led to another, and I started doing them once a week, and we started getting a lot of people come because even though the venue was pretty small and cramped, um, I, I ran the tournaments well. I was always friendly to the people there, and it was at the time, it was kind of like the only thing in New York City that was kind of crazy that popping off was was yeah. at one point the only tournament in New York City when no, there became a lot of bigger ones and, and stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned traveling, but I, I never did that much traveling to bigger tournaments. I wouldn't have much input to add on on that. I've been to been to SmashCon twice. Yeah, um, but there are there are tournaments. There, there are tournaments range from you know these small local tournaments where you might get like ten to fifty people at max. Well, there are locals with more than fifty people, but that's an average. <laughs> um, or like huge tournaments where you get thousands of people. Like it, there's a there's a big scale. But what about the prize pools and stuff like that? How, how do you how did you feel about the prizes and stuff when it came to tournaments? We did um, the, the way it works at, at most tournaments, even the bigger ones, is uh, the tournament will charge two fees for the people who enter it. One of them is a venue fee, and one of them uh, is an entry fee. And the venue fee is basically just you know the profit or whatever you want to call it that the people organizing the tournament or the people who own the location that you're hosting the tournament at you know they pocket mm -hmm. that money that's common knowledge it's not yeah. any <laughs> yeah. uh, and then there's the entry fee which is uh goes into the prize pool which is divided amongst the winners you know based on how the tournament organizer wants to do it so in the case of our locals we used to do a split of first second and third place get 60 percent 30 percent 10 percent respectively Yes, uh, which was it, it used to be the standard. I think people have done different numbers. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever really complained about that number. So I just stuck with it. Uh, when I was first organizing, I didn't make any money at all. But eventually, uh, you know, the, the venue was nice enough to offer me a bit of the money uh, from the venue fee. And nowadays, if I'm organizing term, I've been doing it for years. I'm, I'm going to come right to the people and just tell them, hey, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to need We're going to need to split this venue fee if, if we're doing it. But, Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think that that's definitely important because people don't really want to go to a tournament if there's not something to win. So mm -hmm, I think it's mm -hmm. just a natural part of the competition. Yeah. Before we uh, wrap up, I want to ask, 
what would you say to somebody interested in Smash or just starting out in Smash? Well, I think it goes to the same thing of when I'm coaching is I ask them what their goals are. Not, not everybody knows what they want out of the game, but uh, if you like the game, then keep playing it. And if you want more from it, there's always more out there. Look into tournaments, find your local scene. Obviously right now is a kind of weird time in the world where uh, you can't really go to locals in most areas, but mm. that's changing pretty rapidly. It'll go back to somewhat normal soon. So uh, look on, you know, Smashboards. I don't know if people still use that website. Look on Facebook, Reddit. <laughs> Search anywhere you can and see if you can find local tournaments in your area because local tournaments are super important because yes, it's a chance for you to, you know, play with people and see how good you are. But it's also a chance for you to meet people who play the game and who also want to be good at the game like you do. And hopefully they're in the same area as you if they're at a local. Like yeah. I've met my current best friends through Smash and it's a thing where uh, a lot of people that I've coached, they, they, they have bad habits because they don't know anyone that they can play in person. They only have people to play with online. Mm -hmm. And that's so common, even, you know, pandemic aside. And I think the natural solution to that is go to your local, you'll find people that you can play with and make new friends that are have the same passion for the game as you do. Absolutely. And any last words, any uh, place where we can find you, your information, your coaching site? Tell us all, man. Sure. Yeah. Well, once again, thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. And uh, you guys can find me on YouTube at Game 5 Smash. That's game, like playing a game, the number five and the word smash. Uh, you can find me pretty much on in every social media platform there. Even Twitter, although, uh, as you did also mention, I have a personal Twitter, which I use a lot more for Smash. That is Rory Cosgrove, my name, R-O-R-Y-C-O-S-G-R-O-V-E. And um, any contact that you make with me, you, if you want to set up coaching, whatever, you can find out about that. I have it pinned on both of my Twitter accounts. If you watch most of my YouTube videos, you'll find an ad for it at the end there. <laughs> and if you want to check out my stream, like I mentioned, I stream almost every night at 9 p.m. Eastern time uh, on Game 5 Smash, the YouTube channel. Not Twitch, YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> you heard the man. You can find all the information again. It's going to be in the show notes. And again, I want to thank you, man, for really taking out your time. Uh, talking about all of this it was a lot it was a lot of fun you know and i think smash is definitely always growing it's a very friendly scene very inviting and we have people come join us come in on the fun of smash and dive into what it's like to be in a community you know having people teach you learning and all the good stuff thank you everyone for tuning in to this week's uh infinite weekly if you didn't check out the last episode where we spoke about smash 4 uh specifically for the wii u Jeffrey Scott spoke about his career path and all the things that Smash brought him. So make sure to check that episode out. And as always, guys, I want you guys to stay humble, stay healthy, and of course, stay infinite.